the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It's a delight to welcome back to the show George Kaloff. He uh, regularly <coughs> excuse me, checks in with us on Fridays, but we had a scheduling conflict last week, and a lot has been going on. He is a managing partner at the Resolute Group and president of David uh, Orbital Consulting, pollster, political analyst, and, uh, as I said, uh, consultant, communications consultant as well. George, welcome back. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Seth, as always. As always, always it's great to have you. Thank you. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and maybe, maybe, maybe the Breyer announcement in the Supreme Court plays into it a little bit, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, for those that tune in to the Sunday television shows, the Sunday political news shows, they would have seen uh, commentary from places like MSNBC and CBS and CNN showing all kinds of drops of support for Joe Biden, but underscoring and highlighting <clears throat> Democratic Party uh, support dropping and important subgroups of the Democratic Party uh, dropping their support, losing uh, Joe Biden, losing their support. How real is this? How important is it? And how permanent is it? Look, it's it's real enough to have the progressive media comment it, yeah. you know, comment on it, right? They yeah. wouldn't usually, if this was just a blip on the radar, they wouldn't be commenting on it. I mean, it's real. Uh, now, permanency, look, we understand politics, I would say, is one of the more fickle things. And so we don't know how the next year plays out. I will say it has gone, it has taken about six months to get this bad, and it's been a precipitous drop. Yeah, uh, He has somewhat leveled off now. But again, as you mentioned, it's gotten to the point where he's lost 30 percent with African-American voters. He's lost 25 percent or so overall with Democratic voters. Uh, part of me believes that they're trying to sound the alarms to put pressure, they believe, to put pressure on the Biden administration to actually get more progressive and mm-hmm. to pass more things, which I think is kind of interesting. But, yeah, let's uh, come back to that. That's, that, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah. yeah. But it's very real and it's a big problem for him and it, it has no signs of turning around. At all. Are, are there subgroups of the population that would alert the political operatives in the White House more than others? I would guess, though I don't know, that when you lose that kind of support in the African-American community, that sends out all kinds of alarm bells and sirens, I'm guessing. Is that your sense? 100 percent. I would say if I'm a Democratic strategist, my number one concern is African-American voters. My number two concern are Hispanic voters and obviously overall founded upon just general Democratic support lost. Here's why. They're not necessarily worried that all of a sudden 40 percent of the African-American vote is going to go to Republicans. Right. What they're worried about is that 40 percent of the African-American vote having depressed turnout or the African-American vote in general having depressed turnout. Same thing with Hispanics, even though I would say exactly. So it's energy. Uh, And I would say for Hispanic voters, though, it's part energy, but part. No, they are switching parties. There's actually a fairly high incidence. And we saw it in the Youngkin race, which you've talked about Mm -hmm. with what happened in Virginia, the new governor of Virginia. So uh, they are definitely worried, and those are the two subcategories I would be the most worried about. I would say the third one, and this one's not has been highlighted only because 
the drop hasn't been as big only because there, you know, Biden didn't have more than about 65 percent of them. But it's these suburban women voters, oh. suburban voters in general, mm-hmm. educated voters that some commentators, if you listen to Bill Kristol, had said they're never coming back to the Republican right. Party because of Trump. Right. Uh, Biden's support is now under 50 percent with those. Categories. Yeah. Yeah. Education and crime turns out matters a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. It matters. Uh, it matters a tremendous amount when they don't feel like they could uh, be safe in their homes and yeah. educate the kids the way that they yeah. want to educate. Them. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let me circle back to that point you were making about some of the advice the White House is no doubt getting or at least the political uh, the the political operatives are getting, which is this push to make them more progressive. Um, I, I have no doubt there is that. I, no doubt at all, because I think that's where the heart of the Democratic Party is, or at least some of its loudest um, loudest uh, 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 operatives. But is that is it is that the solution to become more progressive to get the Democrats back? I don't care about the rest of the country. I'm just thinking as a de- or trying to think as a Democrat for a moment. Or do they really just want something that kind of calms the oceans that he has stirred up? And if that's the case, that isn't to be going more progressive, right? I mean, there almost might be a cognitive dissonance about this, if my framing is right. But my framing may not be right. It's 100 percent correct. And, and this, is the, this is the problem. This is the tug and pull. You have a party that's controlled and whose voters are to the left of its party apparatus and leadership, right? The party base is to the left of Joe Biden. We know that. That's the That was the, the bill of goods that was sold when Joe Biden uh, was running for public office, that he was going to unify the country and, and be, be moderate. So the progressive base wants wins. You saw who they boycotted his speech in Georgia because he said, yeah. I don't want words. I want actions yeah. on voting rights. Yeah. You're seeing all kinds of people come out of the woodwork, and they're just angry. They're angry at cinema. They're angry at Biden. And so their solution is to get more progressive. The problem is the whole aura of the Biden administration and the way that Biden has conducted himself for most of his legislative career in the Senate has been to be, quote, a unifier and be a bit more moderate, to Mm -hmm. be left of center. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Neither way is working. But I'll tell you, if you go into the 2022 midterm election and Biden doubles down on his super progressive policy positions, which we know they're not going to get passed because of the Senate, uh, that is going to only enthuse Republicans even more. And I don't think they could do it in time, nor could they do enough to actually enthuse Democratic voters. And so they may be making the problem even worse for themselves. That may go a little bit to the answer of how permanent this is, because it looks like a lose-lose situation for the Biden administration, or I should say for the Democrats going into 2022. It, go, it looks lose-lose for a while. It does, because look, the whole framing of the 2020 election was if you elect us, we stop COVID, we right. bring the country together, we right. solve all your woes. Right. COVID is raging. They lied about that. They knew they could never get it done, but they needed to do it for political expediency. They're not unifying the country. We're more divided than they've ever been, than we've ever been. And life is worse today than it was yeah. a year ago, just being very blunt and candid. Whether or not any of those things have to do specifically with Joe Biden or they would have been better under uh, uh, Donald Trump, that's irrelevant, as we know in politics, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a, a fickle thing. And so whoever's in leadership is going to get blamed for those things. And so it is very permanent because they have set up 
a losing scenario and they have backed themselves into a corner and it was going to be seemingly impossible to get out of it unless they admit that they lied, which we know in politics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we're they lie, but they won't admit it. Happen. Yeah, the lie is there. The admission is not. We're talking to George Kaloff, uh, Kaloff from the Resolute Group here in town. Jo- George, so just to put a highlight on it, if they move more progressive, which is what they're told to get their base back, okay, that may help get their base back, but you lose independence and you lose... Uh, probably the House and Senate if you double down on progressivism. On the other hand, if you move attemptedly whatever moderate means in the Democratic Party, let's just say away from progressivism, you have the energy depleted from your bases, which is what the polls were showing going into Sunday, right? That's, that's, That's the horns of their dilemma, isn't it? It is. It is, absolutely. And and I you know, I was reading some analysis about how the pivot in year two of the Biden administration is going to be on Joe Biden, not focusing on what he wants to get done and being almost like a senator president in the way that he, you know, it's like he was a senator. So they expected him to storm Capitol Hill and get a bunch of stuff passed. They're going to highlight the things that he has already done, which, to be honest with you, the list is short. Yeah. But he is going to move away from really playing a big role on Capitol Hill because so far it has failed. They expected Joe Biden being a senator to have a lot of sway in the Senate. The yeah. problem is. He's not conducting himself the way that Joe Biden senator used to He's yeah. conducting himself yeah. with the way that the progressive base wants him to. And candidly, that's not going to fly with a one seat majority in the in the U.S. Senate with Manchin and Cinema as part of your caucus. Yeah. Uh, by the way, can I keep you a second segment? Because I want to talk to you a little bit about cinema if you have the time. Um, Absolutely. Great. Before before I ask you that, though, before we go into that. Real quickly, I, I know how this how these things go, and you see this news these news reports here and there. Rochelle Walensky hiring an image consultant, Kamala Harris hiring an image consultant. They think they may think this is an image problem, but it's really not an image. Part of it is, part of it is. But if you don't if if you don't have a grounding and a basis, fixing the image isn't going to do anything. Do you think this is mostly an image problem? It's not an image problem, no. right? To, to steal the line from uh, one of our former uh, governors in the in the country, right? Sarah Palin, lipstick on a pig. I yeah. Mean, it's a substance problem. Yeah. If you're selling substance that people don't want to buy, people will not buy it. The bill of goods that's being sold is just people aren't picking up what they're putting down. You can have as many image consultants as you can, as money can buy. And look, they've got plenty of money to do so. But you have to have the substance to back it up. And that's what they're missing right now. Perfect. Uh, let me ask you a really quick question on the way to this break, and then we'll pick up on cinema and mansion when we come back. But really quickly, I heard someone on Fox News, I think it was this morning, say, can we drop this notion that Joe Biden is going to be running for reelection in 2024? I know everyone likes to say it, and he's thinking about re- he is not going to be running for reelection in 2024. Do you agree with that, that this this is just a charade? I mean, look, if the if the Democratic Party puts them up, there's 100 percent going to lose the White House. Yeah. So they've got to okay. do something about it. OK, that's that's a fair answer. I'm Seth Liebson. He's George Kaloff, and uh, he is the managing partner at the Resolute Group, the president of David or- Data Orbital Consulting. He is uh, one of the best political minds I know, if not the best. We'll uh, talk to him about uh, Kristen Cinema, her troubles and um, perhaps uh, her successes and the benefits from those troubles when we come right back. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have George Kaloff with us. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group based here in Phoenix, as well as Data Orbital Consulting, one of the uh, great uh, polling firms, uh, not just here but in the country. Uh, George, thanks for staying with us. Talk to me about a little bit about Kirsten Cinema. There are stories beginning to crop up that she may be facing a primary challenge within the Democratic Party, talking about that progressive wing in that party. Anyone who has two eyes or ears or a TV set and a TV set knows that some aspects of the Democratic Party are spending an awful lot of money um, attacking or opposing her right now. How, how, how strong is the hatred and how permanent is that hatred? And what does it say going forward here with her tenure? Sure. So, I mean, look, cinema uh, has been one of the more fascinating Arizona politicos to follow uh, over the last 10 years, right? Darling, Green Party candidate, darling of the progressive left when she was in the state legislature, runs for Congress, runs as a moderate, very few people believe her, governs candidly fairly moderate, runs for the Senate as even more of a sort of maverick moderate type. Again, a lot of skepticism and definitely has governed as a senator. Uh, in that regard. And, and she now has more than just doubled down. This is now her entrenching herself in this um, more independent-minded lane. Mm-hmm. And it is really upsetting a lot of progressives that feel like they, you know, she betrayed them and all those, all those things. I mean, she's gotten censured now uh, this past Saturday by yep. the Arizona Democratic Party, yep rescinded support from Emily's list and there's other kind of progressive organizations and there's a major divide amongst progressive groups on if they go after uh, one of their own. I mean, look, she's making a wager. <clears throat> she's making a wager that in order to get continuously elected in a state like Arizona, you have to be independent minded. Um, and it's a primary challenger. Yes, but I will say, and we can unpack some of what I just said, and I'll kind of leave it at this for now. Uh, she has an absolute machine. Yeah. that for anyone that remembers the 2012 race when she ran for Congress, she went up against someone who isn't really m- much in politics today, David Shapira, who was a former Senate minority leader. He candidly had a major machine. And, I mean, it was a shellacking, mm-hmm. uh, candidly. Mm-hmm. And her machine has only gotten stronger. So anyone that thinks that she is just going to be a lightweight, regardless of what vote she takes or doesn't take, doesn't really understand the power of the machine that she has built out and the money, candidly, that she's going to have to push back against any primary challenger. Does her status as a senator uh, in the Democratic Party going forward to her reelection a few years hence, it, does it somewhat hinge a little bit on if Mark Kelly is defeated by a Republican? My thinking being a lot of Republicans in Arizona would feel a little more comfortable having cinema as a senator as so long as we have at least a Republican in the other seat. Is that is that a potential is that a potential way of thinking about this? Yes, yes, I I, I would agree. Uh, I think if Kelly gets unseated, cinema is going to feel a bit more comfortable in yeah. that. And I'll tell you, I mean, and, I've been and in enough stronger, focus probably, groups, yeah. seen enough. Yes, yeah, and I've seen I've been in enough focus groups and seen enough polling data. She is more popular than any other Democrat amongst Republicans. Similarly, in the way, and I make I, I'm very careful anytime I use these uh, comparisons because I think the late Senator McCain, and it's hard to compare him in, in many aspects. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He always had about thirty yeah. percent of the Democratic vote. Yeah. Candidly, she's got right now in any given poll between twenty to thirty percent, either somewhat favorable ratings amongst Republicans or Republicans that would consider it. 
that does become, to your point, easier for Republicans. Again, this isn't a general election. Yeah. Now, the big question is, how progressive is the Democratic progressive base, and will they, will some of them give her a pass? And can a Ruben Gallego, yeah. who is the one that looks to be the, the guy to challenge her, I mean, look, he has a machine in his own right, yep. but man, I don't, I don't know that I would want to be going against cinema if I'm Gallego because she's going to be able to raise more money, and that's going to be a pretty even fight there. I'll be, you yeah, know, for those that are saying, oh, today. Ruben Gallego's going to come in and shellac her, not so fast, right? Not so fast. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, look, and he is well to the left, and there's going to be a lot of interest in, in, in Democratic politics in Arizona that understand that if they come off of a 2022 loss in the Senate, they come off of what I would expect to be a complete swing back of any of the statewide elective offices they've held. They will no longer hold. It'll be a straight Republican slate. Cinema is going to be the last statewide. And so they could see all of that, all of their losses starting in 18 be completely rolled back. So if I'm them, I'm probably thinking, hmm, we better watch ourselves. And can Gallego win in a general election? We know that Cinema is going to do better than him. So I think there's, I think we're going to be surprised at the progressive groups that stick with her because of that notion, because she's still a vote for a Democratic leader yeah. like a Chuck Schumer. Yeah, they still do care about that, right? I mean, they can they can engage in all the alarms and excursions they want about filibusters, which people mostly don't understand anyway, and over such things as, you know, massive uh, reforms that people aren't thinking about too terribly much. I mean, until two weeks ago, when did Joe Biden talk about election reform, right? So, I mean, exactly. right? So, so, so a lot of this could be forgotten in a year's time, two years time, three years time, right? Oh, yeah. It's an eternity. 2024 might as well be a, might as well be a generation yeah. away when it comes to political, uh, political conversations. Yeah. We also don't know what the dynamic. Who's going to be the Democrat at the top of the ticket, which yep. is where we left off in the first. Yeah, segment. yeah, yeah. Who's going to be the Republican at the top of the ticket? Right. All of those have a big, you know, all of those have big sway. And what did the Republicans do with their majorities from 2022 to 2024? So right. those are all going to be very important factors uh, for cinema and for an opponent uh, would be opponent at first. Do you look right now to 2022 this year, this November? Do you, do do the do the, do the signs you're seeing the leaves you're reading do they show you right now subject to change right now Republicans poised to win both House and Senate or not so fast on that either? Yes, yeah, I would say from where I sit today, Republicans win the House and the Senate. I think the House by a very decent margins, and I think in Arizona there's a Republican sweep of, a sweep of statewide offices and a growth in the state Senate and state House. I'm very bullish based on what I'm seeing today for Republican outcomes in 2022. Okay, good. I, I just remembering last week's press conference by Joe Biden, he kept asking, what do the Republicans stand for? Boy, we're going to show them, aren't we? We are really going to. He's not going to exactly. be able to ask that question rhetorically anymore, is he? <laughs> after uh, Exactly. After and it's November. tough to say that, Seth, as you know, you're a student of political history. Yeah. It's tough to say that when you're in power, because yeah. the point of being in the minority is you don't have to stand for anything. Yeah. Now, though, proof's in the pudding between 2022 and 2024. What do we do? legislatively to get that done, then in 2024, fine, if he is going to be the nominee, whoever the Democrats are going to be, then they can say, okay, what do we stand for? What do they stand for? You pick. But right now we have the luxury of saying we don't need to stand for anything. We just aren't those guys. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get us into this mess. Yeah. They got us into this mess. You elect us. That changes. Uh, and, and we all know divided government tends to be better because it slows stuff down. Right? Well, it's it, an odd it thing. The American people expect, seem to like it, don't they, boy? Yeah. 
Yeah, they I sure know. do. I know. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> this is our concern <laughs> as we make them all Republicans and conservatives. You and I together will work on that, George Kaloff. Thank you so much yeah. for your time and your brain, as always, and your friendship. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me, Seth. You Looking forward you. to the next time. You betcha. George Kaloff from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital Consulting. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Did I ever answer that question from the caller about whether you need a yes vote from the Senate Judiciary Committee to get on the floor of the Senate on a Supreme Court nominee? If I didn't, I'll reiterate. The answer is – if I didn't, I'll answer it now. If I did, I'll reiterate. The answer is no. You do not need an, uh, a recommend vote from the Senate Judiciary Committee to go to the full floor of the Senate uh, in your nomination to be a federal judge or a Supreme Court Justice. Let me put in a good word for my uh, friends over at Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. I was a little sluggish earlier. I realized I hadn't taken my 16 uh, fruits and veggies uh, from Balance of Nature. And boy, Bill, didn't I perk right up once I remembered to. I take them every day. I just had delayed or forgotten. Uh, Balance of Nature, such a great product. All natural. You get tomatoes, grapes, strawberries, wild blueberries, uh, sweet cherries, lemons, all in all in an easy-to-swallow capsule um, and using their unique cold-process press. I can't say enough about it. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. It's kept me healthy since I started taking them, what, two, three years ago? I don't think I've been sick ever since. I used to get sick all the time whenever the seasons would change. I always would. Balance of Nature, I just don't. And uh, as you can tell, uh, it really does something for those afternoon uh, what do they call them? Blahs or blues? Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE to get a great 33% savings. Connie is in Phoenix. Hi, Connie. Hi, Seth. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Hey, um, great show. Thanks. Really appreciated you having those ladies on yesterday. Oh, aren't they and great? Aren't they great? Yeah. Arizona Women of Action. And motivating. Yeah. And motivating. Yeah. They are strong. I'm telling you, these these women are strong. They, you can't you can't stop them. They are they are a great force in this state. Just a great force. Well, I, I may have to join them. You you do you do you do you do. Okay, um, you were talking about Kristen Sinema's uh, censure. Yeah. By the Arizona Democrats. Yeah. Okay. So I happened to turn on the TV this weekend, and there's a new news anchor on ABC. Um, local, uh-huh. and he he commented on that he did the report. Okay, cinema was censured, yep. and but then he had to editorialize. I think, mm. and he went on to say, "Bear in mind, keep in mind, only nine U.S. senators have ever been censured." <laughs> I think he probably got the story wrong. Actually, I'm positive. Only nine have been censured by the Senate. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was going too. I think they. I, I don't think he realized this was a party censure, not a not a not a senatorial censure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I just another example. By the way, I got. I got to say. Well, I just got to say another example. One of a thousand and one. When I say these local, uh, well, it's true of local and national, but the new crop of reporters, they just don't know much. They're just not that well, smart. Yeah, exactly, but. So so I I went on uh, to you know contact them and 
I went to the, I sent an email to the newsroom, ABC News, okay? And on their website, this it said, tomorrow begins News Literacy Week. <laughs> Become a smarter, more active consumer. Stop the flood of misinformation. Uh, Care before you share. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, I there's a te- there's an online test they're doing for this. Have you seen it? A bias test or a fake news test? Have you seen it that this organization or this mo- this movement is doing that you're talking about? Uh-uh. Oh yeah, yeah. The site you mentioned they have a test you can take if you go to that site that 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 they were mentioning. And uh, to to filter out conservative versus liberal bias, it's equally uh, ridiculous. Uh, I was going to say obscene, but I don't want to misuse the word obscene. It's it's just absurd. It's absurd. Well, I, I pointed it out but in my email But the journalists at ABC Local need to take it and learn from it. Is what it was. What I'm. I I, I I suggested that they. Uh, I believe that a correction should be forthcoming sure. on on a story, Good. which I doubt that they did. But then I said, I just want people to have a correct information. Consider me an activated consumer. Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah. No, uh, th- uh, this is an amazing. I don't even know why you would even. Th- yeah. I mean, they don't even think I was going to say I just they I don't even know if they think about what they're saying when they say it. It just it's kind of like when Sonia Sotomayor said there were 100,000 children on ventilators. And do you even think before you say these things what these things could possibly mean? Or when someone who was well, a Stephen Breyer, I think it was, said that there were 800 million uh, uh, yes. deaths or something like that. You know, okay. Way more than we have population. Yeah, of, oh. yeah. People would have had to have died two or three times, three anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And voted. Connie, thank you. I love it when we can hang a light and, uh, and uh, make the theoretical concrete with the example. Much appreciated. Thank you, dear. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studio. Um, I gave you a homework assignment, and it's okay if you didn't take it. We'll walk through it a little bit uh, uh, together. Joseph Epstein, what are Republicans for? is his uh, current uh, piece at the Wall Street Journal up in uh, today's uh, <clears throat> today's Wall Street Journal available online what are republicans for and uh you know he he does the standard thing you would imagine which is you know maintaining or reiterating i should say uh all the things that you know we're against right uh we know what we're against we're against uh crime of course we're against uh illegal immigration uh, and obviously all of these things having gotten worse. Um, but based off the Joe Biden question, what does it Republicans stand for? Or what does it even uh, conservatives stand for? One could ask. Um, I, I, I see immediately part of the problem in reading this, this, this essay from this very learned man. And he is a very learned man. He's from, you know, the Alan Bloom part of the University of Chicago. Uh, editor of a magazine of great import, um, a great scholar in his own right. But here's the problem. Let me read it to you and see if you pick up on it. You may not, and I won't fault you for it, but to give you a flavor and in part to be a little fair to him. He writes, Republican leaders haven't done enough to answer the charges against their party, which is what are they for, which is a pity because answers are at hand. The proponents of conservatism, Adam Smith, Alexis de Tocqueville, 
F.A. Hayek, have been far more impressive than those of liberalism. And he mentions a few liberals. In fact, I wonder if the most recent proponent of conservatism, the late English philosopher Robert Scruton, or Scruton, doesn't provide the message that conservatism and with it the Republican Party has long needed. And I'll tell you what he quotes Roger Scruton saying in a moment. But do you see the problem with what he said? The proponents of conservatism, Adam Smith, Alexis de Tocqueville, and F.A. Hayek, have been far more impressive than those of liberalism. Do you see a problem here? I'll tell you what it is. You may not immediately see it. And there's nothing wrong with reading Smith, Tocqueville, Hayek. I have many times over. I recommend it. And if you haven't, please do or read summaries of them. There are great summary books. Uh, One of the greatest, the Bible, for years was a book called uh, The Intellectual Conservative Movement in America by George Nash. It's a big book. It goes deeply. It goes deeply into a lot of conservative thinkers. Uh, I think it's even dated 1945 to present times or something like that. Though it's a few years old, it's still the Bible for a lot of conservative political philosophers in America. But that's the problem in America. The proponents of conservatism, Adam Smith, Alexis de Tocqueville, F.A. Hayek, have been far more impressive than those of liberalism. Not an American in that list. And then he goes on to quote Roger Scruton, also not an American. Now, there's nothing about being an American that makes you smarter or dumber than anyone who's from the places Smith, Tocqueville, and Hayek are for, Great Britain, writ broadly, and France, uh, and Germany. There's not, nothing that makes us particularly smarter. These guys were geniuses. Of course they were. But as we like to point out from the perch of the Claremont Institute, is there not something in the American in American history or in the American tradition that should teach conservatism as it applies to America? Is there nothing to be found in the Declaration of Independence or the Federalist Papers or the works and writings of John, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson? This is what has been buried. And by the way, this more than anything else has been what is 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 what has been lost, hasn't it? Isn't isn't our major gripe at the end of the day? And the Supreme Court hearings will highlight a little bit of this, not not for nearly long enough and not nearly brightly enough, but they'll highlight some of it. Isn't isn't our major problem as conservatives that we're watching the constitutionalism disappear? However, you want to cast that sentence, uh, we're, we're we're fast watching a country that used to be organized around a set of constitutional and united constitutional principles, unifying constitutional principles, that that's what's been eviscerated, if not uh, if not completely destroyed, and our effort has been... Well, whether your answer is sort of or yes, you, I think, have to admit it's certainly a part of it, if not the main part of what our gripe is as conservatives, then why wouldn't we want to reinvigorate and reinterest the study of those who cobbled that genius work together. Is there nothing to be said about the natural law conservatism that is found in our founding and in our declaration and in the and in the writings of 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 John Adams and uh, and uh, and and uh, and his family in, in writing the Massachusetts Constitution and Bill of Rights? Is there nothing to be found in Abraham Lincoln's appeal to what constitutes human nature and how he read our founding? Is there nothing to be found in any of that? Is there nothing to be found in the works I've been rereading, the kinds of people that George Nash writes about in, um, 
intellectual conservatism in America from 1945 to the present. Is there nothing to be found in the works of Bill Buckley? My God, he must have written 50 books, literally 50 books. Now, a few of those would have been non, excuse me, a few of those would have been fiction, but the bulk of the bulk of his work would have been nonfiction. Is there nothing to be gained from Richard Reeve, Richard Weaver, or uh, any of the founding senior editors of National Review, most of whom were professors or of professor-like quality? Is there nothing to be learned from James Burnham or Harry Jaffa? Is there nothing to be learned from Alan Burns? Excuse me, Alan Bloom or Walter Burns? Well, I say there is, and I think that the that this has really been a a huge problem is we look around this world uh, of, of, of ideology and we rush to, yeah, Smith and Tocqueville and Hayek, all important, all critical. They are definitely part of the testament here. But why do we so quickly abandon American intellectual thought? And isn't there something about conservatism in America that might be a little bit more important and applicable given the lights of a reading in American documents in history than what conservatism may mean in the UK or in France or in some other country in Europe. I just think there is, and I think that's the beginning of the problem. And by the way, I bet it didn't occur to Joseph Epstein for a moment that this was an issue. I think it's really one of the main ones. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. As you know, I'm not one to say, well, once a liberal says X, we've won or it shows we're winning. I know there's a great temptation amongst a lot of people to do it. I've never believed that and I think I've never done it. I, I, if, I, if you ever caught, catch me doing it, stop me um, because, uh, you know, I know how the long haul works around here and I know that if there's one thing that the left doesn't have, it's uh, standards of continuity and um, – and uh, and ever being at peace or at rest. That having been said, if you have access, and most of you should, if you have an internet connection to the Atlantic Monthly, it's a liberal magazine, um, there is a headlined article there, The Case Against Masks at Schools. Again, I'll reiterate, this is not a sign that we're winning or a sign that we've won, but here's where it becomes useful because, yes, they're saying everything you and I have been saying, hopefully, uh, since uh, the beginnings of 2020. Here's where the value is. The value is there are some journals, publications, there are some publications that no opponent of ours will ever look at, take seriously, or read when we show it to them. So if Liebson publishes in the Wall Street Journal or National Review or whatever, they you know, pull the invincible ignorance lever and just dismiss it. But when it's published in their own house organ, like The Atlantic, a liberal publication equivalent to roughly the New York Times Sunday magazine, then they might be a little more apt to at least read it, to at least digest it, which is not for the win, but for the win of that argument. So if you've had struggles getting people to read who don't agree with you about the importance of masking at schools – Maybe maybe this one will work. Maybe they'll read it, and maybe you can change some minds, or at least they'll be open to reading it because it's in one of their house organs rather than in one of ours. The Atlantic Monthly, The Case Against Masks at Schools. I highly commend it. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth. 
Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.